from Nehemiah chapter 2 from the New Living Translation. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I'd never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asks, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And I told him how long I would be gone. The king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted me these requests because the gracious God of, hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us, except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know I'd been out there and what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I'd not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. <clears throat> I told them about how <clears throat> excuse me. I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, "Yes, let's rebuild the wall." So they began the good work. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. "What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king?" they asked. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem.
It's good to... I feel like this is an episode of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I don't know if I've got to eat this snake or what I've got to do to it, but there's been a lot going on on the lectern today, so I'll just move that away. Are you all okay? Good. It's good to be with you. Uh, thanks for leading us in worship uh, and for, for just being with us and leading us into God's presence. It's good that we've all joined together. Is it two or three congregations? Because there's an online presence as well. So we've all come together for this service. And thank you, Jill, for reading from Nehemiah uh, chapter 2. And it may be a bit cold this morning, but there is supposed to be sunshine this afternoon. And the weather forecast is never wrong, is it? <laughs> never, ever. So there's hopefully there's going to be a bit of sunshine uh, this afternoon. And, and we love it, don't we, when there's a bit of sunshine, especially this time of the year and with all the bank holidays that we get in May. We, we feel like we're on holiday already. And then you realise the alarm goes off on Tuesday morning, you've got to get up and go to work if you're working. But it feels a bit summery. And we're getting into that season where, where lots of holidays uh, are being booked. Ask any teacher, and they will be able to tell you in weeks, days, hours and minutes, how long it is between now and the summer holidays. It's about nine or ten weeks, I think. And then we're into the summer holiday. How many, sorry? Nine school weeks, Okay. How many hours, actually, Cheryl? <laughs> I think Cheryl's got a calendar on her wall and she's crossing it off every day. But as a family, we recently, maybe a month or so ago, booked a, a holiday in the summer. We've been looking for months and months and we worked out what we wanted from the holiday, where we wanted to go, the type of accommodation we wanted, we wanted what we wanted to pay and so on and so forth. And, and it's been a while since we've booked a holiday. And we were staggered at the amount of planning that goes into booking just a week away somewhere. An awful lot to think about if you're going on holidays. And growing up, my dad hated planning a holiday. He hated it so much that he never got involved in any of the planning stage of a holiday. He knew when it would be, because it was at the age we worked in a factory, it was shut down fortnight, last week of July, first week of August, and he just said to my mum, let me know what time we're leaving. That's all I need to know, what time we're leaving, and, and maybe tell me where we're going, but, but she used to order the, the, the map off the AA that would come, and you'd flick it over, you'd put it on their phone, no, not in those days, and, and, and mum, he didn't even look at the directions. My mum was the human sat-nav before sat-navs were invented and she would just say, Ron, at the roundabout, turn left. At the next junction, turn right. And that's how we got to our holidays. My dad didn't want anything to do with the planning whatsoever. In our marriage, when it comes to what we should do on days off and holidays and, and those kind of things, my wife is the planner. I'm more of a let's just see what happens kind of guy in those situations. And many holiday has happened where we've gone with my approach. And it's ended in carnage. I have to be honest. We've gone with my approach and we've got up in the morning and my wife has said, what should we do? I don't, we'll just go for a stroll. We'll take the kids and we'll go for a stroll. Do, do we need a packed lunch? No, we'll, we'll find something en route. We'll, we'll get something when we're there. And it's ended up with the kids in tears because they're starving hungry. What turned out as a little stroll has been eight miles 
and we've got to where we're going to have something to eat, only to find that nobody's serving anything because it's too late in the afternoon, or it's all full, and the kids are crying, and there's three sets of eyes just staring and boring into my head, because I'm the one who said, we'll just see what happens, we'll go with the flow, it'll be fine. 18 years in to married life, I'm starting slowly, increments at a time, to learn that it's better to have some kind of a plan. But in my defense, I do spend a lot of my time planning things, planning services, sermons, planning meetings, strategies, diaries, all of that kind of stuff. So when I go on holidays, I like to just step away from that, like I step away from the alarm clock. Are you with me? Hands up if you're a planner. Hands up if you like to just go with the flow. Or I guess about maybe 50, 50. I don't know. But my wife loves a plan. She lives by the mantra, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Known across educational establishments the world over. In regards to planning, we could change the, the famous words of Hamlet to read, to plan or not to plan, that is the question whether it is nobler in the mind to plan for the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to go with the flow against the sea of troubles, and to this suffer the cries of one's family, as once again you messed up and forgot to plan for the day accordingly. I'm sure there's Shakespeare's words somewhere. <laughs> Friends, whether we fail whether we fall on the to plan or not to plan debate, planning does enter our lives on a daily basis, whether you realize it or not. Now, while I said my wife's a planner, one thing she doesn't like planning for is what to eat during the week before we do the shop. Maybe you're with her on that. The thought of what shall we eat so I know what to eat so then I can know what to buy and I can plan. And some of you are thinking, what, you plan for meals? Some of you think, we just, we just see what happens. But you're the people then that go out, you go to a shop, you spend £150, you come home and you look in the trolley and you think, I've got no meals for the week. All because you fail to plan, you plan to fail, my friends. Maybe we need to start two new discipleship groups. One for those who plan everything and wish to hold it a little bit more loosely. And those that hold everything loosely and wish to plan a little bit more, they'll be starting a week on Wednesday in different rooms here. But on one level or another, we all plan. If you're going on a journey, you plan how you get there. Now that may be subconscious, that you don't realise it. In your brain, you're planning where you're going to go. Or it may be that you do it intentionally because you put the directions into your phone or your sat-nav. If you have people coming over for a meal, you plan what you're going to eat. We plan birthdays and celebrations. We plan what we'll wear. We, we plan to go to the cinema and the theatre. We plan how much fuel we need for whatever journeys we're doing in our car. We're in exam season at the moment and people have been planning for their exams with revision plans and exam timetables. Schools have been planning for these exams for such a long time. Whether we like it or not, we all plan. We plan for these services on a Sunday. We put it into some computer software and it's called planning centre. We spend our lives planning. 
But then for all of us, there are those big moments in life. Those milestones, those difficult seasons, those happy seasons that need extra care and planning. They need more intentional planning. And this is where we find ourselves as we work our way through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. As today we move on in this series, it's time to rebuild. We're thinking about how Nehemiah realized it was time to plan. You see, Nehemiah knew the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem would not simply happen by chance. There was no wanes, we'll just see what happens. We'll see where the, the bricks and the wood comes from. It'll just all fall into place. We need to see the nation just crying in front of you as you've messed up one too many times. But he knew the success of that huge project would come down to whether or not it was all planned correctly. And that was why he has spent four months in prayer and fasting. Four months since he first heard about the mess, the walls, and the mess of the people in Jerusalem were in. He took that time to pray, to fast, to plan. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, we see how this time of prayer and planning pays off for him. And for us here this morning, we will see not only how it's a good thing to plan when situations come up in our lives, but that with God, our lives simply do not happen by chance. I'm sure some of you have seen the film Sliding Doors. It's about a London woman's love life and and her career, and they both hinge on this principle of whether or not she catches or misses a train. And in the film, we see both ways. What happens if she catches the train, what happens if she don't, and they're both played out in parallel. And the film gives the idea that our lives play out on a series of what-ifs. What if I catch the train, this will happen? What if I don't catch the train, well, then this happens. Now, while I don't think any of us live life to this extreme, we can all too easily fall into into the trap that life is what we make make it. It's sort of a, a luck of the draw kind of thing. Friends, the problem with living that way is that it excludes God, who tells us that he has plans for our lives And they're never simply happening on moments of chance, on moments of what-ifs. And Nehemiah understands, and so he prepares by praying and fasting and planning, asking God to show him what he needs to do to accomplish the task ahead of him. And so, friends, the heart of chapter 2 of Nehemiah is this. God is not a God who operates by chance, And our lives are not based on chance. I'll say that again. God is not a God who operates by chance. And our lives are not based on chance. God is a planner. Look at the creation story. In Genesis, it's it's, it's all planned out. God has a plan. He says in Jeremiah that he has plans for us in life. We read in Ephesians that there are things that God has what? God has planned long ago for us to do in our lives. Friends, I just wonder if maybe that is kind of new information to you. Or maybe it's information you've forgotten that God has plans for you. That God plans things out in your life. Your life, 
regardless of what, where you're at, your experience, your history, it has not been and it is not a series of what-ifs, of chances. God has plans and purposes for you. And so to see what God has called us to, we need to see where God has placed us. Because God has put us where we are right now for a particular purpose. That's what Nehemiah experienced. God had placed him right where he was for a particular purpose. It was no coincidence that he was in the position as cupbearer in the palace. This is the the Esther for such a time as this moment for Nehemiah. Because we see that Nehemiah leverages what? His position where God has placed him for God's purposes in the rebuilding of the walls. God had planned for him to be where he is for this moment and for this purpose. Because if Nehemiah had not been a cupbearer to the king, he would not have been able to rebuild the walls. Because he needed the king's help to be able to carry out these plans. And so why has he spent four months praying, fasting, planning, taking that? Why didn't he just jump in? Why didn't he not just react? Why did he take all this time? Because he knew as he comes before the king, he's going to need divine courage. He's going to need everything of God to be able to, for, to see this accomplished. It was way beyond his human abilities. So let's look at what is going on in this chapter as we see these amazing plans unfolding before our eyes and then relate that to our lives. So Nehemiah is serving King Artaxerxes and the king notices that Nehemiah is sad. That suggests that there's a closeness of relationship. That suggests that that the king knows Nehemiah knows what his his normal disposition is, and he notices that he's sad. And so he asks him, why are you sad? So Nehemiah replies by first acknowledging who the king is, and then he explains that he's sad because of the situation in his ancestral city. And as you read this passage, I wonder if Nehemiah does a sort of, you know when, You've got something that you want to say, and it's quite a big thing, and you, you just have that momentary pause, and you, you catch a breath kind of thing. You catch yourself. I wonder if Nehemiah does a little bit of this, because the king is either going to be mad, or all of Nehemiah's prayer and planning is going to come into their own. And if you read on, you know it goes the best way possible. For Nehemiah gets the opening of all openings. After the king has asked him why is he sad, and the king is not angry, the king then says, okay, so how can I help you? What, what, what is it that you need? And it's in Nehemiah's answer that we see he has been planning. But before he answers, he offers up one of those quick, fiery arrow prayers, you know, staccato prayers. He's been praying for four months, and yet Nehemiah wants us to see that prayer is a constant thing. It's not just every now and then. It's constant. And he's coming before the king, and he's been praying and fasting for four months. The king says, so what what can I do to help? And he's 
please God, I hope this goes well. And away he goes. Please God, help me. And away he goes into asking the situation. And the reason in that moment Nehemiah offers up that short prayer is to recognize that there is a greater one with Nehemiah than the person he's coming before or the situation that he's up against. And I love what Nehemiah asks. He asks for the following. First of all, Nehemiah says, okay, you asked me what I wanted. This is what I want. Can I have some time off, please? To go back and to rebuild these walls and to to build up my people. And King Artaxerxes was no fool. So he knows it's about a a four-month journey there, a four-month journey back. That's eight months. He's got to rebuild it. There were no JCBs. There was, was, you know, this was hard graft. It's going to take at least three or four months. So Artaxerxes instantly knows that Nehemiah is asking for at least a year off. This isn't just to say, can I have another week, please? This is a whole year at least that, that the king is going to have to release his trusted cupbearer, somebody that he's worked with, somebody that he's journeyed with, somebody that knows him well. He's going to have to find a replacement for at least a year. That's a massive ask that he's asking of the king. Then he says to him, can I have some letters of protection and reference? So that as he travels through different territories, those letters would show that he's actually not acting on his own behalf, he's acting on the king's business. And, and then it's as if Nehemiah is on a bit of a roll, <laughs> Do you know, I, you know, they got, my mummy says they can say yes or no, the two choices. So not only is he asking for at least a year off, not only is he asking for protection and, and reference, then he says, could you give me a letter that I can give to Asaf to allow him to give me timber from the king's own forest to be able to carry out the rebuilding, which is also to build himself a, a, home, a home to live in while all of this building work's going on. This would mean that the money for the resources was not coming out of Nehemiah's or the people's pockets, but the king was bankrolling this. The king was paying for it. And so all this prayer and all this planning, the request is super specific. And they show that Nehemiah has not wasted the last four months, but rather he's really thought about what he's doing and what is he actually going to need to accomplish these tasks. But they're pretty bold requests. Think of, I don't know if you're working, think of your, your, your CEO, your boss. Or think of you and I just nipping up to Buckingham Palace and knocking on the door and asking to speak to King Charles and explaining all of this stuff. These were massive requests. Eric Mason in his book, Nehemiah for You, says, can you imagine saying this kind of thing to your boss? Number one, I want a year off. Number two, I need a reference letter because I'm going to be taking another job while I'm away. And number three, I'd like you to finance the whole project. Now think of your boss right now. What do you think their answer might be? Or when you were working, think of your boss. What might their answer have been? You can have everything, young man. Here's your P45 and enjoy yourself as you leave. It's crazy. The reality that the king granted all of Nehemiah's requests was proof to Nehemiah that God truly was with him. 
This is why in Nehemiah 8, in ver- Nehemiah says in v- verse 8 of chapter 2, the gracious hand of God was on me. Because if the gracious hand of God was not on him, he would not have got all of these requests. Too right the gracious hand of God was on him. So Nehemiah, off he goes, gets to Jerusalem, three days of rested. He decides he needs to see for himself the extent of the task that was before him. He hadn't seen it. But he knows there are those who are against him. He doesn't want to give away his plans too quickly. So he goes out to inspect the walls under the cover of darkness. Again, it all points to Nehemiah's meticulous planning. How am I going to see the extent of the work without everybody seeing what I'm doing? Okay, I'll go out under the darkness. Only once he has inspected the work needed to be done. Only once all of his plans were in place did he then speak to the powers that he needed to about his plans, and he said to them, let's rebuild these walls, because it's all a bit of a disgrace. He explains the conversation he had with the king, all the help that the king has given him, and how that is a sign that God is with them, and then they all eagerly reply, yes, let's do it, come on, let's rebuild the walls. You know, if someone had said to Nehemiah, before all of this happened, before his brother uh, came to see him to tell him the state, if somebody had come to Nehemiah six, seven months ago and said, this is what's going to happen, if you can think of the most audacious request, go to the king and he's going to grant it to you, Nehemiah would have laughed him out. There's no way he's going to do all of that. There's no way that he's going to give me a year off protection and references and finance the project. Yet... With God, anything is possible. And after four months of prayer and fasting and planning, Nehemiah realizes that God is with him. And so God shows Nehemiah roots around the barriers that he might face. And friends, Nehemiah challenges and encourages us to not put the restrictions of the world onto God's plans. To not put the restrictions of the world onto God's plans. God will make a way where there seems to be no way, the song says. When there appears to be a mountain ahead of us that is simply too much of an obstacle, when even past experience shows us that this or that type of thing simply does not happen, Nehemiah is living proof that with God in our plans, with the gracious hand of God with us, then anything can happen. Even the heart and mind of kings can be favorable to us. One of the central themes of the story of God is that nothing is impossible with him. That he can do anything. And Nehemiah adds to that theme. For he says that God can accomplish anything through us. God uses us. You know, I often say to people in church leadership, I often say to them, what? whether that be deacons, elders, trustees, ministry leaders, or anyone for that matter, what is your big dream for God? That big, audacious, bold thing that that has been on your heart, been on your mind for the last 30 years. What would you love to see God do? Come on, guys, think big. Whenever I've said that, rarely do I hear something like, well, I dream of of a £5 million building project with a community centre and a community cafe and places for the community to to hear all about the amazing news of God. 
a thousand-seater auditorium because I believe God is going to grow the church. I pray that my dream is that the council will be so favourable to us that they would just keep contacting us and say, we've got pots of money, do you want it? Can you use it for a community project? Rarely do I hear that God would give us enough resources to send anybody who wants to go to overseas mission. No one has ever said to me that their dream is that this baptistry would be open and that it would be water in there constantly because people were constantly coming and giving their life to Jesus and wanting to get baptized. Rarely have I heard those dreams. What I tend to hear are things that are great, but they're not big plans like Nehemiah had. What I tend to hear are the things that, if we are honest, we can actually do ourselves. But what I'm trying to do is draw out those things that are way beyond us. Because, friends, what Nehemiah was doing, what Nehemiah asked the king for, what Nehemiah had planned for, was way beyond him. And so it's for us as individuals, as followers of Jesus, as the church, to come before God for the things that are way beyond us. You know, the story of Nehemiah and this chapter in particular show us that you cannot out-ask God. You cannot out-dream God. You cannot out-give God. You cannot out-plan God. And in the big story of God, God wants us to include us in that story right where we are. Do you know, friends, that big dream that you've got that is beyond you is not beyond God. Amen? Amen? God wants to use you right where you are in his plans. You see, we come right back to the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 2. Well, actually, we go right back to the end of Nehemiah chapter 1, where we read, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Friends, that is so important to Nehemiah's plans, so important to God's plans. You see, if Nehemiah was a gardener for the king, he probably would not be known by the king. If Nehemiah had been a fisherman, he would never even have seen the king. Nehemiah's plans worked because God had placed him right where he was for the specific plans that God had for him. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. We've heard how that was a a great, a a high position, that you're, you're serving the king his wine. You're tasting it to make sure that it's not poisonous and to make sure it's of good quality. So you're in a really good relationship with the king. And also in that position that the king wanted people around him who was going to lift his spirits. And so when the king sees Nehemiah is a bit down in the dumps, he's a bit sad, that could have gone one of two ways. One of them would see Nehemiah dead and one of them would see Nehemiah getting his plans fulfilled. And yet because he was in such a good relationship with him, because the gracious hand of God was on him, God used that position right where he was to serve God's purposes. And you see, none of that would have happened had Nehemiah not spent time in planning and prayer. 
Nehemiah is a great example of of responding, overreacting when faced with a situation. How many of us, when we're faced with a situation that is beyond us, we, we overreact as opposed to pausing and breathing and responding in a godly way? So Nehemiah uses his God-given position for God's purposes. And if you read on, you'll see the walls were rebuilt in record time. Friends, where are you right now? Where is your place of work and your role within that place of work? Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Maybe you're studying. Wherever you are, I want you to know this morning that you are not in that place by accident. I'm going to say that again because I don't think you believe it. You are not in that place, wherever it is that you are. You are not in that place by accident. Even if you cannot currently see a God-given purpose for you being there, be encouraged that God knows where you are and he knows why you are there. God sees you. Amen to that. As I was preparing, I I sense that some of you feel you're without purpose, that, that where you are and what you are doing is not amounting to much. God wants to say to you that you are right where he wants you to be. Yes, I understand there are times when we're, where we are is not where God would want us to be. That's not what I'm talking about in this sermon. I believe when we are not where God wants us to be, he shows us that and he shows us an opportunity out. What I mean today is you feel where you are is not valuable. You look at others and you think, wow, look at all of their achieving. Friend, you are where God wants you to be, even if you cannot see why. After all, Nehemiah didn't know what his God-given purpose as the king's cupbearer was until four months ago. Up until then, he'd been going about his daily work, but now he certainly knows why he's there. He would have not have known that maybe when he took the role. He may have had days when he questioned why he was doing what he was doing in the place that he was doing it. But God had a plan for him. And the moment, at the most perfect moment of time, God revealed that plan to him. The purpose where you are right now might be to to rebuild. It might be to have a pivotal role to play in changing the culture of where you are. Your purpose might be to share your faith with someone in your sphere of influence that you may not even know yet. Your situation might mean that you have time. And in this season, your purpose might be to offer friendship to another person. I want us all to know here this morning that if we are walking with God, then nothing is wasted. And so where we are is is not a wasted season, but rather it's a God-given season. You know, God's purposes for me and my family were to come to Billericay to come to Billericay Baptist Church. And I, I know you're pleased about that because two of you were pleased that I'm speaking at the, the civic service this afternoon. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement, guys. That was, I feel so glad. I'm teasing. I'm only teasing. We're in a UK church. We don't like answering rhetorical questions. When I started looking for a new church, you weren't even looking. But God knew. 
God knew that that moment when I started looking wasn't the time for him to put me into another place. He needed, the, he needed time for that to develop. Yes, he wanted me to be looking, but there was a reason in my heart other churches were like, nah, it's not right. It's not great. It's a lovely man, but it's not great. It's by the seaside, but it's not great. Because God knew. For a particular purpose, for a particular season. God has got plans for us, even friends, when we cannot see it. Now you may be in a season of life and you sense God is calling you to something. I would encourage you to do what Nehemiah did. To spend time praying and fasting and seeking God and allow him to show things in his time frame. Allow him to show you how you can plan. But friends, may you know that your life is not a series of what-ifs or chance encounters, but rather it is a thought-out, prepared plan by the living God. And he invites you to walk in his plan for your life. And when you do that, he will equip you to do some amazing things for him in his time. So friends, may you know that God has put you right where you are for a particular purpose. So if you don't know what that is, start praying, fasting, asking him to be in the heart of all that you plan. Isn't God good? Yeah. That's the worship group to come back up, please. You love it when that happens because you know I'm nearly finished, don't you? You know, friends, I, I think that through Nehemiah, God shows us that with him, anything, Capital letters, anything, highlighted, bold, underlined, anything really, really is possible. But he wants us to seek him first and to be in all we do. Friends, as a community of faith, God has placed us where we are for a purpose. Our purpose is not to keep ourselves comfortable and to simply keep the doors of the church open. God has called each and every one of us to be part of this church. This is because he has purpose for us, purposes for us to reach the community of Billericay with the transforming love of Jesus. So together, we ask ourselves, what is it that God is laying before us? What are those impossible things that are beyond us that God is laying before us? What is it that he is asking of us? Like Nehemiah, what are those big, audacious things that God is calling us to? Church, Let's not be a church that coasts. Let's not be a church that only walks in ways that we've walked before. That only walks in ways that we can see how it all works out. But let's together be a church that walks in those ways that are going before the king of our world and asking for those things that we think there is no way that's going to happen. Do you want to be part of a church that does the things that are beyond you? Amen. Let's together be a church that does those things that are not just beyond us. It's not just a little bit out of reach. It's way beyond us. Way, way beyond us. Because we serve the living God. We serve the big, amazing, powerful God who flung the stars into space, who can do literally anything. And if we are in his plans... We can accomplish more than we could ever think 
possible because the gracious hand of God is upon us. God has placed you right where you are for his purposes. God has placed us as a church together right where we are in this season for his purposes. Let's seek him with all that we are. Let's search for him in new, fresh, deeper, more powerful ways than ever before and just grow together in the amazing things of God.